Have you ever dreamed of being rich and famous? Maybe you have dreamed of following in the footsteps of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos. Have you ever asked yourself what it took to get there? Well, join Rebecca Davis as she interviews the current rich and famous to discuss what steps were taken on their journeys. Welcome to Big Journeys, Small Steps. small steps and you want to know a secret you're Go my down. very first podcast interview ever <laughs> I've done podcasts but I've never hosted one so I'm so excited to have you thank you for being here with us today that's fabulous thank you for uh, being part of this absolutely Rebecca happy new year by the way happy new year now, for those of you listening that don't know, Joe Foster is the founder of Reebok. And I must say, I read your book over the holiday oh, and I could not put it down. The Shoemaker <laughs> is a really great read, y'all. You need to go get it first and foremost. I'm sure it's on Amazon. Is it on Amazon, Joe? It, it certainly is on Amazon, yes. Well, they definitely need to get it. And as I was digging in, there were some key things that you talked about in your journey that I would actually like to kind of revisit with you, if that's okay. Oh, that's okay. That's what we're here for. <laughs> well, perfect. Now, I'm going to read a passage out of your book. And excuse me, I'm not the best reader, but I want the audience to hear your words in your book. And then I would like for us to dig into them a little bit. Okay. And it was in your chapter 21, Finding a Fireman. As is the way with many quests and stories, fables and folklore, the journey along with the winding road often involves encounters with gatekeepers, people who hold the keys that enable you to continue towards your destiny. Without these people, the road becomes a never ending circle. Like a roundabout without exits, the challenge for a protagonist along the journey is that Although they meet a lot of people, they don't know which ones hold the keys. They don't know what they look like or where they've based. It's often fate or good fortune that enables the encounter. Even then, they don't know if they're false guides ready to lead them along the wrong path, even if they have the best intentions in mind. There are endless obstacles that could derail the protagonist, so it's a minor miracle when everything comes together and the next door is open. There's only one way to find the right key holder, and that's to put yourself in many situations as you can, where you get to meet as many people as possible. Networking can be a numbers game. Sometimes you're lucky and meet the right person at the right time within minutes. Sometimes it can take years, but you have to fully believe that the gatekeeper is out there somewhere, and it's your job to find him or her. I adore that passage. It resonates so much in my own personal business, finding business partners and people I can really trust and employees that I can really trust and team players. And when I read that, for me, it really hit home. And I know there are some major key players in your organization. And I would love for you to kind of divulge 
like when you first meet somebody, how can you tell if this person is going to be one of your gate people, somebody you can trust and bring into your organization? Well, I think initially it's a matter of instinct. It's a matter of when you talk to that person and uh, you have a conversation, whether you feel that this person is on your wavelength, whether you feel they're, they're like you and they want to join you and they want to be part of, whether they want to be part of a team. And I, and I think you can feel that. It's um, At the time when I met Paul, Paul Fireman, I also met uh, uh, a guy from uh, Kmart who was, a, who was a buyer. But I... You you get that sense. I knew he was a buyer, whereas Paul was a player. Paul was somebody who wanted to become involved, not just a buyer. And that was the difference between those two people. But you know, as in the paragraph you've read, you, it really takes time. It takes that time to, to really know whether you have the right gatekeeper or, or not. It just takes some time. But initially... You have to you have to have that gut feeling that this person I can get on with this person that we we can work together we we could be a team so you you got to have that initial gut feeling and uh, and and I had that with Paul. That's fantastic, and I think you're so right. But some of us, especially those newer to business, sometimes our gut feeling isn't right. What, what happens when that happens, when you're in the course of business and you've made a decision and it's the wrong one? And I'm sure that has happened to you developing Reebok as in your book. It seemed like it was a very long journey to actually get it truly off the ground. I mean, it was nothing more than love and persistence from what I read that really got you there. So I'm sure you stumbled along the way. How do people... Uh, move on or figure out that they're stumbling and how did they get out of that situation? Well, you have read the story. So, you know, my first trip to America was 1968 and uh, it took me till 1979, 11 years to find Paul Feynman. Meanwhile, I did find six other people that I uh, was on the right wavelength, but it's, it's, it's the next step. The next step is, can they can they actually make it work? And I can't blame those people because whilst I tried to get into uh, the American market for 11 years, uh, we were pushing. And when you push into a market, there are different challenges. So the people might have been right, but maybe the timing wasn't. And I think this is what happened for six attempts. And with one of the people... A guy called Shu Lang, you've probably read about him. Uh, and Shu Lang and I, we we agonized for four years trying to get into the market, uh, probably the same way that I initially had to work hard to get into the UK market as a new product. We had to find a way in, find a way that meant that people wanted us. I used to call on retailers and show them my product. They love my product, but they looked at the shelf and they said, I've got Adidas and I've got Dunlop. Why do I need Reebok? Big Journeys, Small Steps is brought to you by Cannonball Insurance Solutions. KBI specializes in Medicare, individual and family health insurance plans. They're licensed in 47 states and willing to find you the right plan for your budget 
and your needs. Give them a call at 254-918-5444 or check them out online at gbisolutionsllc.com. That is Cannonball Insurance Solutions with a K. And that was the question that used to fascinate me. And it's a question you have to answer. They didn't need Reebok. We had to make them need Reebok. And that is the job. The job is to make them need Reebok. And in America, we got a five-star review from uh, Runner's World. That was the that was the influence that we needed. Now people needed Reebok because Runner's World said there's a five-star product there. So you, you've got to have that little bit of extra. I love that. The fact that you said that we needed to make them need Reebok because they didn't. And I think so many people stumble in the early days of their business. They just think they build something and they will come. But if they don't need it or if they don't want it or you don't give them a reason to come, they're never going to. So I love that. Thank you. You know, kind of a funny little story. So I was actually born and raised in California. And I was born in 77. So in the heart of the 80s, on the aerobic era, that was my generation, right? My mom was, I remember her doing a Jane Fonda in the middle of the living room in her Reeboks. And I remember wearing my Reeboks to school and going to cheerleading and stuff. And um, I just, I was just took me back to almost like a childhood memory. And the aerobic craze that I believe it was a, uh, Angel Martinez brought to your attention? Absolutely. I mean, yes. I, I mean, that, I, tell me was, about that. Arnold, Arnold was a tech rep. He was a good athlete, but he was a tech rep uh, in, uh, in Los Angeles. And uh, it wasn't Arnold, really. It was his wife, Frankie. His wife, Frankie, is going to these uh, classes and coming back with her friends. They're coming back home. And they're just so full of it, just so full of this. Whoa. And Arnold said, uh, Frankie, what are you doing? And uh, Frankie said, well, we're, we're actually exercising to music, and we love it. And uh, so he was so full of it. He, he asked her if, if he could come down to the next uh, class that she was taking. Yeah, why not? And that's when he went down, and that's when Arnold saw the instructor in a pair of sneakers, after class in the same sneakers or similar sneakers, and the others just barefoot. And that's when this light bulb moment hit him. And he became the next gatekeeper. He became the next gatekeeper. He opened a different gate. We, um, throughout, throughout our whole existence at Reebok, we didn't have much money. We were not able to pay for things like Adidas had bought off the soccer market. So... We had to look for white space, a space that nobody's there. And aerobics was a space, the biggest space that we ever fell into and that Arnold brought us into, a space where he just looked at it and said, we should make a shoe specifically for aerobics, specifically for women, on a woman's last, and we want to make it feel like a glove, so comfortable. And that was brilliant. I remember the shoe clearly. I, I probably still have a pair is buried in my closet somewhere, although right. I don't do aerobics anymore. <laughs> 
When you, when you did the five-star runner shoe, right? When you made that new sole and then you actually had all your shoes, five stars, that seemed like almost like an impossible feat. You like, you weren't expecting that. What was that feeling when you got that call and they're like, Hey, Joe, all your shoes are five stars. Bring us back to that moment. Well, I think what we need to understand, and I think everybody who is in a business, has a business, is building a business, they must know exactly what is required in that business. They must be able to, they must be a leader. They must be leading out with new ideas, uh, making sure they're really up to date. The, the product is absolutely on the money. It's got to be right. They're not just going to be, say, a shoemaker making a running shoe. They've got to be making running shoes. They've got to be part of that. And we were part of that. So when we put our shoes together, we were making them for athletes. They were not just for sitting on a shelf or just for wearing in a race. We we worked with athletes. We knew what well, they knew what they wanted, and they would help us make sure that what we produced worked very, very well. So when we went to Runner's World with product, we had a good feeling that, okay, if we're not going to get five stars, uh, they're going to have to tell us why. <laughs> they're going to tell us what, what they think is wrong with our product that is not five five star. So when we went in there, we didn't go in there with our fingers crossed. We went in there with knowledge. We can do this. We were, we went in there positive and we sent a good product. We, okay, we knew Bob Anderson. He was uh, the editor of, of Runner's World, so we knew him very well and he knew our product very well. So we we were fairly confident, although... You have to sort of have that feeling, well, until somebody tells us, <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> but uh, we, we we certainly went in with the right attitude. And it was when we got that, when I got that call back from Paul, because I had phoned Paul and said, Paul, go down to the, can you go down to the local kiosk and see if Ronda's world is out now? And uh, it was an hour later and he'd gone down there and he came back and said, Joe, Aztec, it's got five stars. That was it. That was sort of like, yes, we made it. Yes. And that, that was the difference. Now we had a road into the market. And as, instead of pushing, we were being pulled into the market now. And that was a big difference. And uh, the timing for Paul Fireman was absolutely right. And he became our gatekeeper. And uh, the rest is history. So we talk about our journey, right, to business. I know your journey goes all the way back to your granddad and your grandma Maria. How long did it take you to, when the very first time you laid your hand on a pair of shoes to get that five-star review? How long was that journey, Joe? Well, we're talking about the five-star review in 79. We started off in 58. That is 21 years, I believe. 21 years. And that would then we become an overnight success. You're a 21-year overnight success. I, that's <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> and I think some people give up on their dream far too soon. And I think what you're showing people is ultimately don't. It takes grit. It takes perseverance to make any business great. And I have one final question for you. And I want to go back to the aerobics versus the five-star shoe. I'm curious. Of those two events, which one do you really think is what made Reebok today? Well, I, I think the aerobics is actually what, what made uh, Reebok what it is. But we, 
as, as a company, we were willing to pivot. And, uh, you know, we were a running company and we became a woman's company. We actually pivoted into becoming a woman's company, still in performance, as we were always in performance, but we pivoted. And that that willingness to pivot, I think, uh, gave us that uh, opportunity to grow from a $9 million business to a $900 million business in four years. And those four years were like living in a dream and living on an express. We were going on a rocket. We're absolutely moving it at, at the speed of sound, the speed of light almost. It was really, we were moving that fast. You didn't have time to stand back and think, hmm, this is good. No, it really took us uh, on a, an absolute roller coaster that was, was magnificent. And uh, that that really put Reebok in America on the map. And once we knew that once we really got to become a household name in America, the rest of the world would follow. I think it's interesting that you said basically it was the woman's kind of movement. Like you got on that train with the women's shoe that really took you there. And that probably wasn't the easiest decision back then. Now it's kind of a no brainer. We, we buy everything, <laughs> but I think it's fantastic that back then you guys saw that and you're like, this is a home run and we didn't run with it. And as a woman, I am so I, I'm gleaming almost with that knowledge because, you know, in some way we were part of your journey because I own Reebok. My mother owned Reebok. We did aerobics. I did basketball. I did all the things. And just to know now somebody personally that ultimately was part of maybe my childhood is this really fascinating. Thank you so much, Joe. I get your humongous journey started with extremely small steps. And if you'd like to know more about his journey, read The Shoemaker. It's on Amazon. It's an amazing read. It's a lifelong journey that starts all the way back to his grandfather. And him and his brother went into partnership on creating Reebok. And I just truly love your story. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you, Rebecca. It's been an absolute pleasure. And good luck with uh, your podcast. Thank you, Jeff. A privilege to become number one. <laughs> I've been saving the launch just so I could have you as my number one. <laughs> oh, what can I say? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you for being a part of Big Journeys, Small Steps. If you like our content, you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, and Facebook. Be sure to share, subscribe, and like so we can continue to create quality content. Until next time.